is this thing still on? It's been a while. This show's been on hiatus for a couple of months. I told you that Doug and I were going to put something together, the likes of which you had not ever seen before, and I still plan to do that. But it's not going to happen in the immediate future because I've got bigger things on my plate right now. So what I wanted to do was, well, something. And uh, Doug and I started talking, and he said, hey, um... Hey, remember the Deeper Thought podcast you did a couple of years ago? Doug and I decided that we could go through some of those episodes. Over the next several weeks, several months, you're going to get access to what you previously weren't able to. Hopefully, this little provocation will help you sell something that you haven't sold before. And uh, stay tuned for these episodes as they drop week over week. I think you're going to take something away from them. I know you're going to be entertained by them. And uh, I just, I can't wait to talk to you again real soon. Introverts, extroverts, and accountability buddies. I'm bringing you my conversation with Jason Bay right now. My name's Jeff Bajoric, and my career in sales has been a hell of a ride. And I want to bring you along with me. If you prefer to sell things at a premium, if you never want to win a deal on price, rethink the way you sell. Welcome back to the show. My name is Jeff Bajoric. I'm your host, and I'm here to help you rethink the way you sell. I am not going to belabor this point at all. I'm bringing you a conversation I had with my good friend, Jason Bay. We talked about what it's like to be an introvert in sales. We talked about extroverts in sales. We've talked about accountability. We talked about origin stories, what it means to sell like you. Like I said, I'm not going to hang on to this any longer than I need to. Here's my friend, Jason Bay. Jason Bay, like one of my favorite people, one of, not only one of my favorite sales experts to pay attention to and to follow and to listen, and like I've taken some of your tips and used them, and maybe we'll get into the whole any thoughts thing. I was a skeptic until I tried it, and it works, so do it, right? Um, but one of my favorite human beings. I'm glad that we get to record uh, at least this portion of our conversation because they tend to run pretty deep. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm right back at you. I always talk to, uh, we'll have to actually introduce our wives. Yeah. Like everyone is a like couple to couple, like on a zoom call or something, because I don't know about you. I talk about you to my wife all the time, Sarah. She's like, never met you before, you know? I think we're connected on LinkedIn, I think, but that oh, yeah. is the extent of it. Yes. And my wife's got a LinkedIn profile, but she's got like five followers because she just she's just there. Like it's like, oh, I guess I'll plant a flag, right? But um no, that's funny. Yeah. We because I I talk about you too, and I'm I'm sure my wife knows who you are, but I I'm confident yeah. she couldn't pick you out of a lineup without doing research first. So that is that yeah. is pretty funny. I think, you know, as it relates to this conversation, like you're someone who is so effortless with the way you approach sales, with the way you approach how you train um, salespeople. I'm sure that wasn't always the case, but how did you find yourself in a sales position? What's your your origin story? When did you get started? Mm. So I was sharing this story with someone else on a podcast around how I used to be very introverted as a child. So to give you some perspective, when I was five years old, my parents like basically forced me to play soccer, which was good. They're like, hey, you just need to try it. Just go mm -hmm. to the practice. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it. But we think that you're going to like it. You know, it's pretty athletic. And I remember I scored a goal one time and all the parents are cheering. And as soon as I figured out, I don't remember this. My parents told me this story later. As soon as I figured out that they were cheering for me, I was so mortified. The coach had to take me out of the game. Oh, wow. You know? 
it's just like, oh God, these people are thinking about me. You know what I mean? And all throughout my childhood, even through high school and the first part of college, I looked at my introversion as a weakness. Mm. It felt like a weakness and it felt like everyone else had this superpower that I didn't have because I would always end up being friends with people that were more social than me. And the way that I got into sales was my freshman year of college, a guy named Barry, he's one of my best friends now. He came into my classroom and he was working for this company that, uh, big nationwide company, about 35 million bucks. I think they do annually and they teach college students how to run a house painting business. And the whole pitch was make $10,000 in a summer. And I stacked wood on a cart for 60 hours a week the summer prior, like hard manual labor. Like it was right. a tough job, you know? And you and probably like, didn't make 10,000. <laughs> like I made like 5,500 bucks, you know? Right. I was like, I, I will not do that again. Anything besides that. And I actually didn't know, I didn't quite put together that I would be having to go door to door. So I get hired in November, this is in 2008. And then in 2009, in February, March, you launch your business, so to speak. So Barry comes out with me and it's basically like recruit a couple of your friends, you pay them kind of under the table to help you go knock on doors and, and get leads. A typical paint job is, it's not cheap though. It's like tw at that time, $2,500 for a, a very small house, all the way up to, I think I closed a $19,000 job, hmm. uh, paint job. And then everywhere in between. So I was, the thought of going door to door in my hometown of 5,000 people was potentially the most humiliating thing that I could, would endure in my life. That's how I thought of it. I'm, I'm sure. going to talk to people that I know. I'm going to run into teachers. They're going to see me going door to door. This is going to be really bad. And I remember sitting in my car before I went out with Barry the first time. Just my hands were all sweaty and I was like, Fuck, what am I doing? You know? <laughs> and I was like, Oh God. And then he went and showed me that, Hey, this is not that big of a deal, dude. We're going to go do this together. I'm going to rub shoulders with you. And that's a lesson I've kept with me, by the way, is this a sales yeah. leadership lesson, rubbing shoulders, doing the activity together. He's like, dude, it's not that big of a deal. And we got like, you know, in an hour, four or five people we talked to that wanted to get estimates. And, and then the whole concept of sales, I didn't really know what that was. The people that I, I don't think I actually knew anyone in sales. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. think I knew anyone, any friends or family friends that were in sales. And when I got hired for that job, the first thing I did was I bought Little Red Book of Selling by Jeffrey Gittimer, mm -hmm. which you and I both, that's a core kind of foundational thing that we did early on in our careers. And I bought a house painting for Dummies book. Okay. <laughs> and uh, if that tells you anything about me. There you go. <laughs> so my concept of selling was, I kind of read that book in advance, but I didn't really understand what sales was. No, and no I was fortunate for to have, yeah. yeah, no context. Um, and they had really good training. I mean, it was very structured. It's, hey, when we schedule an estimate with a homeowner, we're going to ask them to block off two hours. You're going to meet with them for the first 15 to 30 minutes, figure out what they want. You're going to go outside and do a walk around with them. Then you're going to spend maybe 30, 45 minutes on your own, just taking some measurements, crunching some numbers, and then you're going to come in and close. It's a very detailed process. And one thing I've always been extremely responsive to and gravitated towards is process in my life. Being an athlete, you know, oh, hey, I need to do these dribbling drills and this mic and layup drill. And then I need to shoot a hundred shots. And then I need to get some free, like I need, then I need to lift weights. I, I'm very like, if there's a process to it, I'm very, very good at just following the process, even if it's very repetitive. Mm -hmm. And that was the part I noticed that, hey, when I do these fundamental things, 
a good result tends to happen. Mm -hmm. When I build rapport like I'm supposed to, when I don't pitch our services really hard and talk more about what they need and point out peeling paint to them and talk about what happens if you don't fix it. I had never even painted a house before in my life, Jeff. <laughs> and people would ask me, have you painted before? I was like, to be totally transparent with you, no, I, I actually haven't painted a home before. And that's why I'm not going to be the person painting your house. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so that was, I forget exactly what your question was, but that was my kind of foray into sales. That was the, the first weekend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The first weekend. So I got a leads. I got, I think 125, 130 leads in a weekend, which is a lot. Right. Wow. And then the next weekend you book 10 estimates. So that's 20 hours of your, of your weekend right there. Sure. Saturday and Sunday. Barry, I always give him shit about this. He goes over five with me on like on Saturday. <laughs> goose egg, dude. Right. Straight goose egg. And I didn't really lose any belief in seeing that. I more was just like, I'm going to do this myself then, right? You know, I'm going to get this done myself. So the next day I wake up it's Sunday and I'm like, Jack, dude, I'm super jacked to just go do this on my own. Cause I'm just super independent like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I go three for five that day. The first deal that I book is like a deck and it's maybe 2,800 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I remember the homeowner, I wasn't expecting them to say yes necessarily. They're like, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do this. How do we sign up? And I have to call Barry and be like, to hey, ask him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like which line do they sign on the contract again? Right. And who do they make the check out to? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. And then from there, I was hooked because okay. what I really liked about it, again, is process. And if I follow these steps, these fundamental things, and commit a few of the fundamental things to memory, I'm going to do really well. I, I was that guy that. I created all of my own scripts, my own talk tracks. I created my own process. Like all of the documentation they gave me, training material was great, but I made it all my own. Mm. I literally rewrote stuff, rewrote out the process, scripted things the way that I like to say it. I did all of those things. And I was just hooked after that. I was the person also, I didn't have any blowout weeks. Booking $10,000 in one week was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Oh, you had a 10K plus week? I never had a 10K week. And mm. I booked $100,000 and paint jobs, which was about almost $30,000 in profit for me over the summer. Uh, but I never, like I was Mr. Consistent. Mm -hmm. Every single week I closed a deal. You know, every single week I would self-source my own pipeline, right? Th then that sure. was go do an estimate and then knock on some doors in between your next two estimates. Right. You know, yeah, uh, and be really there, strategic huh? about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was just hooked on it after that, man. So... You made 30 grand that summer instead of 10? Yeah. Dude, that's killer. Yeah. The average that's, person that wow. runs that business does about 55 to $60,000 in revenue. Okay. They make about you know 10 grand or 12 grand or whatever it was. Yeah. Wow. And you tripled it. And you, uh, what's really interesting there is you fought some real demons, right? Like being an introvert, being an extrovert, like you're, you're wired to do certain things. And there's certainly some flexibility in that, you know, and I talked to um, Nick Capozzi about this a long time ago. And he's like, what do you mean yeah. you're, an, you're an introvert? How are you? You do a podcast. You're talking to people all the time. I'm like, dude, 
it doesn't change the fact that you need to talk to people. It just means it's harder for me to do than it is for you. And you still rise to the occasion when you need to, but you have to work with the way you're wired. It's such an adorable story that you're this little kid, you score a goal, you're all excited. Then you realize that everybody else is excited too, and you just crumble. Like that is like heartbreaking and hilarious at the same time. But I want to dig into this introversion as a weakness there are a lot more out of us or a lot more of us out there rather than people realize and most of the particularly in longer sales cycles um, in more uh, consultative deals i think there are more introverts at the top of the leader of those leaderboards than people realize what does your experience tell you yeah it's it's tough because, well, first, I think we should dispel the myth around what introversion and extroversion is and what it is not. Mm-hmm. It's a scale. You sure. know, on one side, you Spectrum. have, you know, introvert, uh, you know, agoraphobia kind of stuff where you don't like to go outside and see people. And then on the other side, you have uh, someone that's like manic, you know, and just like, you know, and then everywhere in between. Right. Um, if one is as introverted as you could be and tennis is extroverted, I'm probably I'm probably a three or a four. Mm hmm. So introversion, extroversion, yeah, yeah. It has more to do with how you energize. So when you've had a long day at work, what do you like to do? You and I would, like, if we were living in the same area, we might just go grab a beer. We're not going to say get all of our friends together and go out and have a party kind of thing. That's that's not my way of energizing. That doesn't mean that we don't like to socialize. Right. You know, so I think that's important to note. Um, So in terms of what I see, it's so tough. I don't know if you ever think about this. I really believe like attracts like. Mm-hmm. So I notice uh, from reps, at least, I tend to attract a lot of introverted reps come to me for our programs mm-hmm. and introverted sales leaders, people that are kind of more my style. Or I do have the opposite too, where there's that really extroverted sales leader that I've always had that kind of opposites attract kind of connection with those type of people. Mm-hmm. Where the really extroverted person with the really kind of more quiet, reserved, I'm going to think a little bit more about what I say and I don't need to be in the front of the room unless I'm helping people, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's that or not, because I notice a lot of the people that I help tend to lean more introverted, except for when I work with big sales teams, then it's more kind of across yeah. the board. But again, if that's an introverted sales leader who's hiring more introverted sales leaders, which again, like attracts like people tend to hire like also. Yeah, it's really hard to tell, dude. But I've noticed that the very high achievers tend to be more like Brandon Fluherty. Mm-hmm. If you know who Brandon is, mm-hmm. made a million bucks in a year selling for those of you like I would go check out his stuff. Really great content. Yeah, um, they tend to be more like him versus Ian Koniak. Ian Koniak is much more extroverted. The dude loves to talk. Yes. Right. Loves talking, loves being like going like the social energy. Like he loves that. I haven't even either even talked to him about that. So I'm, I'm curious to see what he would say about himself. But those are two examples of what, from an outsider perspective, at least seem to be very opposite personalities. But the introverts, the people that will really listen, I think that's a little easier to do if you're an introvert because you would rather listen. <laughs> than talk. Yeah. Oh, th- that's that's exactly it. And you know, it's it's like 
you know, to, to your point about going out on a Friday night after a long week of work, you know, mm-hmm. let's go have a beer, but let's go have a beer where the game's on so we don't even have to talk the entire time, right? Like it's there's yeah. something there to carry to fill the the empty space when when it when we need an empty space. Um but it's funny because I think in more consultative roles an introvert's strengths are being played to. I don't want to have to dominate the conversation. I want to let you dominate the conversation. One, it makes you feel good to talk. We know this. Particularly when, and and the, the, again, like, I don't mind talking if you ask me a question. I'll talk your ear off if you ask me a question because I know you want to hear the answer. So I feel a little more free to provide that kind of um, space. So uh, asking a question doesn't matter if you are asking it of an introvert or, or an extrovert. I think people like to talk unless they're way at the end of the introvert scale. Um, but so it's making you feel good. I'm learning things and it's also my crutch because I don't have to be doing the talking if you're doing the talking. And that's like a trifecta that I think plays into the hands of someone who's willing to ask and then also willing to listen. And because I'm not going to say that introverts are more intelligent than extroverts. I don't think there's any data out there to correlate that. And I wouldn't even be interested in pursuing it. That's not the point. But when you are so willing to listen and you put yourself in position to listen more often, I think you find yourself in position to recognize actionable triggers that will then put you in a position to make that recommendation when you need to. You know, and again, I don't know how much of this is scientifically backed. I'm not interested in that. This is all anecdotal from my experience, but I play to my strengths when I ask questions and listen. And I also play to my strengths when I shut up, when I'm not certain that someone wants to hear from me. And those, I think, are two underrated skills for salespeople that introverts tend to naturally possess, if you will. Yeah, love that. So one thing I would add, I think about the sales process, once discovery has started in kind of three pillars, there's a connect aspect to this. I need to connect to larger org-wide you know, initiatives to, to really sell something transformational, uh, I need to quantify. Mm-hmm. So if someone says we need to fix XYZ problem, I need to quantify, like, how are you quantifying that problem, the impact, what's the current versus future state, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that third pillar is lead. So helping the prospect shape the narrative that is told internally to the buying committee. Mm-hmm. When I think about introversion and extroversion, I think a lot of that plays into how you lead the prospect. Mm. So for example, what I think about a lot, and I am someone that likes to be in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. My favorite meetings that I'm on are the ones that I'm running. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be on a meeting that I'm not running. Right. You know what I mean? And when I think <laughs> about it, me out in a social setting, I would rather be with someone that is extroverted, that I could follow along with. You know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. about during the sales process, how are you helping lead the prospect and making them look good based on your personality style? Like the cohesion between the two of you. When are you allowing the prospect to be the extrovert by just providing them the information that they need, the business case, the story that they can tell, and you bringing a supporting cast? Versus when are you kind of stepping up with someone that's maybe a little bit more introverted, that has social capital in the company, but it's not that get in front of the room, do a rah-rah kind of thing. How are you helping them do that? You know, And that's where I've seen myself in sales cycles play off of a prospect where if it's a super extra, like I can think of two clients right now, Brian and John, 
very extroverted, extremely extroverted. All I got to do is give them the information and get the hell out of their way. You know what I mean? And I think of another guy that I work with. He's more introverted. He's a little bit more like me. And I noticed that I need to step up a little bit more, especially with how I interact with their team to kind of relieve him of that burden a bit. Mm. You know, so I do think that you can you can think about your dynamic with the prospect Mm. and how you can play to each other's strengths. And it's all about what Ian Altman talks about so much. Same side selling is is his concept, right? Mm -hmm. Getting on the same side of the table as the prospect. How can we get on the same side of the table together and complement each other's strengths and weaknesses? You know, when it comes to selling this thing internally, I do think that that's important to think about. So what does it mean to sell like you? Well, in short, it means more pipeline. It means bigger deals that close faster and more often. It means more customer loyalty. So there's less churn and it means a culture on your team where winning is expected and everyone's having fun. Now, if this sounds like something your team needs, go to jeffbajorek.com forward slash services and find out how I use this approach to help teams like yours create world-class results. Now back to the show. Do you think that, and and this will be the last thing I asked on the introversion versus introversion or introversion versus extroversion um, scale, but do you think that um, introverts are approaching that same side selling a little bit different? Are, Are they less confrontational? Are they just more willing to find a way to partner? Or do you, do you think that there's a difference there or am I reaching? I don't think so. I think, okay, I'll throw out a word, shyness. Okay. I think shyness can exist for both introverts and extroverts. Okay. You know? That makes sense. I happen to be introverted, but I love, like, providing a challenging perspective. I love challenging the perspective of my prospects and my clients. I love doing that. I love, like... To me, I've learned how to, through with a lot of self-work, really lean into discomfort and know that when I'm experiencing some discomfort, that means we're talking about something real right now, mm-hmm. you know? So That's, I'm not yeah. shy about that. And I know many extroverts that won't go there and push it with prospects, even though they're very social. Right. You know? So I think that that, I don't, I don't think that that has to do with introversion and extroversion personally. Okay. Again, okay. we're we're doing like, like we're like bro science right now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> let me give you the results of my study. Here's the science I'm going to provide you with. Um, yeah. Well, let let's. It's interesting. You said a couple of things there. Um, you said you've done the work. You've challenged yourself to be able to challenge people when it's important. You said that um, you know when you feel uh, some shyness or when you feel re- what Stephen Pressfield calls resistance against something. That's how you know to lean into something. I've been reading. A ton of Pressfield lately, and I love it. It's it. I'm revisiting yep. some old stuff. There's huge stuff to talk about there um, that I am elsewhere in this podcast, actually. But you and I'll talk about that later. Um, what at, at what point did you decide that you needed to either challenge yourself to do something the way you didn't think was the right way? you know, to, to sell like somebody else, or at what point did you decide that you needed to challenge yourself to allow yourself to act in a way that felt authentic? 
right? I, I believe that there's this struggle, and it's closely related to the resistance that Pressfield talks about, where it's like, look, I know and I feel in my soul that there's a right way to do it, but I don't see other people doing it this way. This conflict is what everybody struggles with. And I believe that um, top performers decide to trust themselves and they move mm -hmm. in the direction that feels authentic to them. And anybody else who never makes that choice never rises above mediocrity. So when did you make that conscious decision? Was it a certain point in time where you remember, or was it something that you just kind of eventually gravitated toward? I feel like I've gone through this maybe two or three times in my sales career. Mm -hmm. But the thing that comes to mind with what you shared, I think a good way of thinking of this, I mean, everything can be measured on a bell curve, like across everything in life. There's always a bell curve for the most part when the data size, uh, the sample size is big enough. Right. So by definition, to be a top performer, there are very few of those people. So what I think is if the majority of what people are doing is what that middle of the pack is doing, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Darren Hardy wrote in the compound effect. I love that book. It's one of my favorite books. I haven't read it in a while. He wrote something about how top performing people, world-class people do things the opposite way of the rest of the folks. And he was even down to, they don't even go grocery shopping at the same time. Why would I go grocery shopping in the middle of a uh, Sunday afternoon when there's all these freaking people out here? Why yeah. not go during the week, during the day? Right. Amateur hour at Costco. You got to avoid that. Oh, God, it's terrible, dude. <laughs> we just moved next to a Costco that's less crowded. Thank God, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh, God, it's horrifying. Um, so I think that if you just look at, by definition, a top performer is a top 5 10%. This is top 5 10% of people. Mm -hmm. They do stuff that's very different from the rest of the pack. So you know that if I'm doing something that conflicts with the, what the majority of people are doing, I, it's probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think getting comfortable with that, getting comfortable with, I don't know if you may have experienced this. I don't know what you want to share on the podcast or not, but I'll just share my kind of experience yeah. with just in my everyday personal life, deciding that I want to hold myself to a higher standard than a lot of my family does. Yeah. And there's this like, oh, you're too good for us or this kind mm. of thing where it's intimidating for other people. And I think the most important thing that you can do is find other like surround yourself with other, you know, growth mindset type of folks that don't yeah. give you shit about wanting to be better yeah, and to be different. So there's a couple instances I experienced that. I think one was when I was selling house painting services, I went through this learning curve of, I read all this Gittimer and I wanted to be like Gittimer. So I, I'm like trying to be this like East Coast, like introverted West Coast guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it just wasn't like, like it worked for me, but it didn't ever feel very authentic. Right. And then at some point I just hit this mode where I'm like, hey, cause I would ask everyone after I closed a deal, I'd say, as soon as we, the summer came around, it was time to start house painting, uh, like painting their home. I just would ask them, why did you decide to go with me? Yeah. And they never said anything about, oh, you best quality, um, cheapest price. A lot of times we were more, more expensive than the, mm -hmm. than the local person. It was none of the stuff I thought it was. It was, we just trust you. Yeah. I just, I just trusted based on what you shared that you would take care of us. That was it. And that like light bulb for me was, oh, I just need to build a good relationship and get this 
homeowner to trust me. And the best way to do that, because most people are bad at acting, including myself, is to just be authentic and be yourself mm -hmm. and to genuinely give a shit about them as a person. Right. And helping them, you know? So that was one. And then I went through another big learning curve, learning how to sell B2B, you know, about 10 years ago. And then more recently in the last two or three years, it was, okay, I, I went from selling to small businesses to, hey, now I'm selling to a software company with 5,000 plus employees. And it's a VP of sales that has like five to 10 directors under them. And there's like this whole chain, like selling to those VPs, I sucked at that at first. I just didn't understand how, because you don't deal with this in B2C, the different dynamics of how people like think about their day and right. how they purchase things. You know, it's the whole above the line versus below the line type of thinking. So that was a learning curve for me where, again, as I learned to do that, I would just model content that I consumed and all that stuff. And I think the really selling like you, selling like yourself, I think a, a large part of that for me and my journey was this, like, this journey of becoming more confident, you know? And I think that confidence comes from a combination of things. I think your competence helps. Sure. But just the the repetition and having people in your corner that you believe and having mentors and having peers like yourself, people that really believe in you, mm -hmm. having clients that really like, I have the best clients, dude. These people really believe in me. They want yeah. to see me succeed. You know what I mean? Yep. It's so cool. And I think that if you're intentional about not just leveling up your skills, that is just a piece of the confidence puzzle. Mm -hmm. I think it's really closely examining your insecurities and more importantly, just the people you surround yourself with. Do, are they in your corner? Do they believe in you? And we've talked about this before. Anthony Inarino is a big, you know, a big mentor of mine. And, and just hearing him say that like he, like he vibed with my approach. Yeah. And how I do this stuff was just like everything to me, dude. You know Validation. what I mean? It, it meant yeah. more than any anything professionally or personally, honestly, that I've ever experienced in my life. You know? Yep. And I think that getting being very purposeful about finding peers and mentors is something that I've only really done in the last year and a half or so. And you were a big help with that, you know, when we first connected. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. one of the questions I asked you in Austin at that conference was, hey, do you have this problem where you don't really know a lot of people that do what we do? And you're like, no, actually, I, I kind of don't. <laughs> Let me introduce you to all of them. And the yeah. next week we're on a call, the week after I'm meeting, all, you know, <laughs> um, just that was really cool. And I think that uh, I did one last little thought on that. I did a, a, I launched a new training group today. It's about 100 people. It's at an existing client. So I'm like training the rest of their team Okay. after a phase one. And that's one of the things that I talked about was, you know, this concept of having an accountability buddy is what I've heard people call it. You know, nice. someone that is like on the same trajectory as you, they could be more or less accomplished, but someone that is on the, a similar trajectory that wants to push themselves. I see so many sales executives too not have that in their life. You just you have to be intentional about surrounding yourself with people that have alignment in how they want to push themselves. And I think that's that's a really big part of your confidence and really selling like you is validation from yourself, validation from people that you respect, validation of your skills in the marketplace. It comes from mm -hmm. a lot of different stuff. And I think it's the combination of that that's been really helpful for me. Well, and the inspiration too, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, I see you do great things and I'm like, hell yeah, go Jason. And it's like, well, yep. 
all right, it's your turn. You know, looking in the mirror, like, okay, it's your turn. Do it. And I know that I've done that for other people. And like, there's this give and take. And it's like, anytime you're in um, a really great culture where you inspire one another, sometimes it even pushes the limits, the outer limits of like a rivalry. You know what I mean? Where there's just some stimulation Mm -hmm. there. It's like, oh yeah, well, I can do that too. Okay. You never want to, it's not a rivalry where you want to see the other person fail. You want to beat them at something. It's not like, it's not that kind of a competition, but there's that little, um, it's still the same muscle, you know, in, in your brain or your spirit. That's like, oh, if they can do it, I can do that too. Okay. Let me see what I can kind of put together. And, um, those are the cultures on sales teams that you don't see very often, unfortunately, because they're very hard to construct. But when you are doing your own thing and now, you know, um, this is the beauty of the internet now and that we've all been brought more closely together and all these online communities, particularly those that have sprouted out of COVID is, you know, look, you have the team that you're on. That's fine. If it doesn't work for you, go insert yourself on another team or create another team where because you're not the only one that's looking for that, but you create that space where you can all encourage each other. If you don't like the culture that's been given to you, go create another one somewhere else. And I've done that. I know you've done that. I mean, I, I did that when I was in the field working for a company, you know, wasn't getting what I needed from leadership. So I called a couple of other reps and I was like, Hey, we're going to meet once a quarter. Just we'll hold, you'll be my accountability buddy. And we'll, Mm -hmm you know, do this. And it, it, it really does work. I love the way you approach that though. Cause, and you mentioned that you've kind of faced these crucibles almost, you know, a couple of times throughout your career. And I don't think they ever go away. I think you find new spots to get into. It's yep. kind of very, very similar to the imposter. If you're not feeling the imposter mm-hmm. syndrome, you're not pushing yourself period end. So you don't Agreed. run away from that, lean into it. And if you're not feeling it, why not? Or, or when will you again soon, <laughs> right? Like if you just yeah. got over an event, then great. But um, this this sell like you concept, live like you, right? Lead like you, um, be in a relationship like you, whatever hashtag you want to put in front of it. I think it's an important point to recognize that it never actually goes away or gets extinguished. It's just something that is a reminder that you're human. It's a reminder that you have great things left to accomplish. And and it's a reminder to lean in rather than to be afraid of it. Yeah, hundred percent, man. I, I mean, I'm working on this right now, like a big thing I'm working on with my content. And so that's me in a training call, me on a webinar, me on a podcast is just being more of my own self and not trying to censor everything that I say. Yeah. I, the only thing I've censored today is the F-bombs. So yeah. I don't know if your podcast is in the explicit category or not, and I don't want you to have to bleep everything out, you know? I'm not bleeping <laughs> anything. We'll just mark the episode, you know, E for Jason Bay, I guess. You know, that's yeah. that's fine. <laughs> um, but being, you know, thinking about where you censor yourself. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's that, oh, the prospect said something, and you know that that's a bad way to approach it. Yeah. And there's tactically a better way to call someone out than just to say you're wrong. It could be, well, hey, that's one perspective. Are you interested in hearing how this other person like you approach this? You know, there's tactically a way to go about that. But that instinct to be like, oh, God, I could help this person right here. This approach is not going to serve them and then not say anything about it versus leaning in to that. Like leaning in is that's just a theme in my life right now. How can I do more of that? Be more of myself in my content because... 
that's what makes you unique. Yeah. You know, and it is the thing like your uniqueness is what people that are drawn to you and you're the only one that can be unique. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. kind of this weird, uh, I do feel like there's a flywheel effect to authenticity and selling like you. The flywheel is that the more authentic that you are, the more authentic that you are and the more authentic that you feel comfortable being and the better your results. And it just, it just feeds into this cycle, yep. you know? So yeah. super important, man. It's a virtuous cycle for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, that's yeah. awesome. Jason, this has been great, man. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, this is awesome. Always fun to jam with you. Well, what'd you think? Uh, Jason Bay is one of the best, if not the best, especially as it relates to tactical, empathetic prospecting techniques. But we didn't get into prospecting so much today. We talked about the bigger picture. We talked about his perspective. And that's what I love so much about what he does. He brings a level of experience and expertise from seeing a bigger picture. And that's why his lessons are so beneficial. And I just really appreciate being able to talk to him. And I hope you uh, are able to appreciate rather uh, being able to listen in every once in a while. So I'm um, really excited for what's coming next. Next week, I'm going to dig into introverts and extroverts a little bit further. Um, and then after that, I've got another friend of mine coming. Todd Capone is going to talk about transparency and how valuable it is for people to be able to predict what is going to happen next. Thanks again. I really appreciate you spending time with me and I'll talk to you again really soon. Rethink the Way You Sell is a Pot About It production. It's mixed and edited by Doug Branson, with music by Blue Dot Sessions and Doug Branson. This podcast is masterminded by Jeff Bajoric.